This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spirituals podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And my guest today is Sarah Marshank. Sarah, hello. Hi, Chris. Hi. So I am super excited to have this conversation with you, Sarah. You've written an incredible book that you were kind enough to gift me when I met you and your husband, Stephen, in Maui at an incredible Ram Dass retreat back in 2016, um, which we hopefully can have time to talk about later on. But more importantly, I want to discuss you, your work, your book, and then we'll see what time allows for after that. Uh, But first things first, your bio... Sarah Marshank, M.E.D., is the founder of Selfistry, a comprehensive, integrative educational system for mastering the art of being human. She is the author of Being Selfish, My Journey from Escort to Monk to Grandmother. Based in the San Francisco Bay Area, Sarah teaches and speaks internationally, offers online courses, consults with corporate clients, and works one-on-one with individuals. Sarah's high-level training as an educator makes her an effective and impactful facilitator, but the embodied presence she brings comes from spending 10 years in retreat. Her life's purpose, articulated and expressed through self-history, integrates Eastern and Western philosophy and psychology with meditative and somatic practices. Self-history masterfully guides practitioners to a deep encounter with self, lowercase elf, and self, capital S, self. And you can learn more about Sarah and her work with self-history at www.selfhistory.com. And that's spelled S like Sam, E-L-F-I-S like Sam, T like Tom, R-Y, selfhistory.com. Sarah, thank you so much for being with me today. It's a pleasure. So I know in the bio we touched or scratched the surface of self-history. And we I know we'll spend probably the majority of this uh, conversation talking about your book, which is, um, as I've told you, captivating and uh, fascinating and joyous and heartbreaking and just runs the gamut of all things, uh, all emotions. It's wonderful. But before we did that, I know what you're currently focused on and your main point of passion is self-history. So I'd love to start there. If you can elaborate a bit more on 
um, again, what we what was mentioned in the bio, you know, talk about the work, what led you to it and, and why it is your passion and what people can expect from that. Beautiful. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Oh, um, yeah, Selfistry is like my baby. Mm -hmm. um, we'll talk about my story a little bit more and my journey that I wrote about in the book, which is a memoir. But yeah. Selfistry was really born out of my 10 years in retreat and out of the discovery and the experience that I had there. Um, as you know, I have a master's degree in education, so I'm essentially an educator. Mm. That's my, one of my superpowers. And I specialize in human development, which is, you know, the combination between our spirituality and our psychology, um, which is one of the things I really love about you and the work you do as well. Mm. We don't separate those. We're, we're about integrating them. Right. Well, so, thanks. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, so it is cool. So, so self-history is a system that I developed that has a map and a method. So I kind of map out what I call an upcycled version of religion and spirituality and the wisdom traditions, especially the esoteric ones. And um, so it's a map of our human existence. Um, it has three pillars the source center, which is emptiness or capital S self, right? right? It has the witness, which is our self-awareness and our capacity that, and maybe we'll talk about this, that Ken Wilber does speak about in the evolution of human consciousness, mm -hmm. but it's also something that gets cultivated through a meditation practice such as Vipassana. Sure. So it's that the witness part of us that kind of, for me, can help uh, navigate and orient how I do the artistry of my life. Right. And then the third realm is the self small s, which is our exquisite, unique, human, crazy, funky, beautiful, glorious human self. Yeah. And so I, I isolate those three realms in the map. And the method is basically a way to get become more intimate with ourselves in each of these realms so that we can integrate them in the artistry of ourselves. Selfistry is art, artistry of the self, right? Mm. So we can find this juicy way of being human. And it has a, actually it has a somatic practice, which is a movement practice um, and a meditation practice, which is more the stillness practice. Yeah. And um, so I have, you'll see on my website, I have online courses, evergreen courses that I just completed that are really exciting. Mm -hmm. I have, and then I do live events where I teach workshops and retreats. And, and as you mentioned, I do some corporate consulting, which is really bringing a new life to bringing personal development into the workplace because we know that that impacts the bottom line, not just for the business, but for the whole culture. So important. So important. Yeah. So that's kind of an overview. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. And what I love is that you're integrating all aspects of the human experience. And I'm jumping ahead a little, but I remember at one point in your book, which um, we'll get to, but where you have the realization that you've been taking very good care of yourself spiritually, but mm -hmm. 
but not physically. You know, you you were negating or, or lacking in that part of your life. And I know a lot. You know, you're not terminally unique in that. And I I experienced it. Many of us do. It's it's what you know a lot of people call spiritual bypassing, or even to go deeper. Uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche wrote one of my all-time favorite books, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, which I try to read that once a year just to put myself back in check, you know, because Chris, little s Chris, likes to really, you know, like think, hey, you're doing great on this path. And and then I get through one or two chapters of that, and it's just like, oh, shit, but in a good way. So I love that you're incorporating that, you know, and, and you mentioned Ken, and, and that makes me think somewhat of, um, you know, how he talks about waking up, growing up, and cleaning up, and how we see all of these scandals that happen with quote-unquote teachers from various lineages, and because they're only focusing on one area of their development, not an integrative approach to all of it. So I think self-history sounds absolutely incredible. I personally look forward to, you know, delving deeper into it myself, and I can say even not having done that work with you specifically just from being in your presence along with uh, your husband Stephen like I mentioned earlier in Maui um, a total heart connection you know and that's undeniable so um, without even doing the work I can certainly vouch for it and cannot encourage listeners to check out your website and explore that further Um, and again I'm very excited to do so myself which I will do just while a book launch is happening on my end, it's a little tricky, but you know, that's, that's a whole nother, another conversation. Speaking of books, being selfish, um, an unorthodox memoir, my journey from escort to monk to grandmother. I mean, that kind of says it all right there. Like who's, who's going to read that and not be interested. Right. So what I wanted to do, um, it's basically, it's broken down into six sections So I want to go section by section with you. There's multiple chapters, but what I wanted to do was just give an overview of each of the sections and then allow you to go wherever you feel moved to go with that. And we can talk about whatever you like. But before I even jumped into the first section, I wanted to read the actual description of the book from the back jacket, because I think that really will help uh, the audience to get a, a, a even better feel. I mean, again, that title and subtitle, wonderful. Um, But just to give a little more depth to the book, um, it reads, in being selfish, we meet Sarah facing a second unplanned pregnancy at the age of 22. Her conservative Jewish, politically liberal, middle-class American upbringing fails to provide her with meaningful comfort or guidance. Depressed and disillusioned, She sets out on a 20-year pilgrimage to explore sex, God, and herself. Her forays into Orthodox Judaism, the sex trade, and New Age spirituality don't satisfy the depth of her longing for authenticity. Then she meets Sam, a New York baby boomer churned monk, living a life unplugged from society in remote rural Oregon. When Sarah realizes what Sam is up to, she abandons her careers, friends, and family to dive into a disciplined life of meditation, yoga, fasting, and silence. It wasn't her original intention to spend a decade in isolation, but that's what it took for Sarah to discover who she really is, though not without paying a price. Being selfish is an inspirational, illuminating, and intimate memoir. 
Sarah's unorthodox story, told with unflinching candor and wry humor, will appeal to all those interested in the messy busyness of finding their unique path and purpose in life. And I love that line, um, with unflinching candor. You know, that's that that's a perfect way of wording it. You and I spoke before we started recording and um and I think I might have actually used that word. Um I also find it poignant and, and captivating and just an exceptional book. So let's 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 dive right into it. The first section is uh, titled "Broken." Now, again, there are, there are numerous chapters, but you have these six sections. So, you title uh, the the beginning of the book with "Broken," and again, this is just a very short summary. There is much more in these sections, um, but I just pulled out some of the highlights um, that I took away, and uh, and again, we'll leave it to you to to go with it wherever you like, but. In Broken, you recount, you know, it begins with your second unplanned pregnancy and you're struggling with what to do with that. Um, You're spending time with family, you know, which seems to uh, escalate the despair that you're experiencing for the most part. It's it's not all bad, but, you know, it's pretty obvious you're having some difficulties there. Um, You're also, you know, evaluating what it means to be an Orthodox Jew in your life and not sure what that really means. Um, and again, so that's just setting the stage. So why don't you go ahead and, you know, discuss whatever you'd like about that section. Well, first of all, I just want to um, say that your comment about candor is really um, important. I want to just underscore that because one of the things I love about you and your work and our connection is there's a certain rawness and authenticity that the world is yearning for. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, um, you know, talking the talk. We're walking the walk in the sense of we really are being as real and as authentic as we can about everything, no holds barred. And that's really refreshing. Um, So, yeah. So I love that about your work as well. Well, thank you. It's it's I think what people are desperately searching for right now. So that's why, again, I can't recommend your book enough. But thank you for the kind words. Yeah. And that's where my story starts really is that I can't find that in the world. You know, I'm 22 years old and all of us, all the listeners out there have a moment right in our lives where we go, what the, you know, how, how did I get here? How do I, what choice do I make from here? What decision, how do I do, how do I do this thing called being human? And so there is this place inside of me that at that young age, which is was the start of my quest, you could say, or my seeking, was that moment of, it wasn't so much that I was, um, um, it wasn't so much which choice was the right choice. Should I have this child or should I not have this child? It was more, the question was more from where inside do yeah. I choose? You know, it goes back to that inquiry, like, who am I? Who made the choice in the first place to have sex with these guys and have and get pregnant, right? Sure, right. And then who's making the choice now of how to proceed in my life? And how do I locate that the deepest, most authentic, most true knowing of myself so that I can live with whatever choice I make mm-hmm. and really rest in that? really rest in that, not second guess it, not have remorse, not have regret. There might be grief and heartbreak because 
You know, you make one choice, you have, you choose chocolate over vanilla and you're just not going to have vanilla. So it's okay to grieve the loss of the vanilla, but to really own the choice of the chocolate being the right choice for me. So I love that. that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, it's like you're almost, uh, pulling a Ramana Maharshi before even knowing about Ramana Maharshi, right? Who am I? What, where is this decision coming from? That's so beautiful. And, um, and I think that that's something so many people struggle with, yet either one, they don't take the time to explore it, or two, they just, they're so consumed with what's outside, not with the inner self, um, that, you know, it just, it gets buried and buried. And I know for myself, that was part of the case, but also I buried it intentionally through drugs and alcohol because I wasn't at a place where I was ready to explore that. And thank God I am here. Like, I love what you said about grieving um, because even when I decided to lay down the drugs and the alcohol, there was a very sincere grieving experience. And then, you know, I I suffered numerous relapses after that initial decision. And every time there was grieving because it's like losing a best friend, but it's making that decision and exploring where is that decision coming from inside of myself, um, which I love you point that out. And then, yes, allowing whatever needs to occur from there to occur. And in many cases, grieving, of course. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, and I also wanted to, to talk if you're comfortable with it a little bit more, cause you, you seem to, I, I wouldn't say crisis of faith is right, but you know, you're really exploring your, your heritage in Judaism at this point. Um, and it seems though you don't go too deeply into your childhood in the book, but but you know it becomes pretty apparent that that was something that's taken rather seriously in your family and and was deeply instilled with you. Can you talk about that? Because it seems like, and again, not knowing the the story before really this point, it seems like this is uh, maybe not necessarily the first time, but a point in your life where you're really beginning to question what does this even mean? You know. Yeah. Beautiful question. I think that for me, so I was raised conservative, not orthodox. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I was raised conservative. It was more of a cultural, you know, communal identification or connection sure. to the religion. But like you said earlier, what it ended up being for me was more what you said about, you know, making decisions from the outside, right? We're so busy following other people's ideas, whether it's religion or our parents or our friends or, or, or what we're seeing on Facebook or that we don't take the time to be selfish in the wisest sense. I make this distinction because selfistry, being selfish is you know, being selfish isn't a very popular thing. And yet we all are selfish. And so, so I try to make this distinction between what the Dalai Lama calls being wisely selfish, where we can take the time to spend some time to know ourselves, our truest selves, right? That's buried, like you said, buried. And we often bury it ourselves because we don't know better because we're scared of it. We don't know which voices to listen to because because what if that voice tells us to, you know, end our marriage or move away or become a monk, right? right. It's 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 disorienting. And so when my when my life hit the skids at that second pregnancy and I had this crisis of life, of faith, of everything, 
and I knew I needed to find the answers for myself, I figured the first place to start was go back to my ancestral roots to see if maybe underneath the superficial expression of the religion, which is very beautiful and very meaningful to a lot of people. I don't want in any way diminish that. But to see for me, was there something in the Kabbalah and the esoteric teaching of the orthodox way of being Jewish that could answer and touch that deepest place inside of me? And in the end, it did not hold me. But there were a lot of things and still are. And you speak to this too. In every religion, there are threads and, and gems and jewels of wisdom and of meaning and of beauty that I do carry from the Jewish faith. Um, So that's what I have to say about me and my Jewish heritage. And I, though I do love the Hebrew language and speak it fluently. So yeah. yeah. And and, and yes, I, I, I realized we're both very similar in honoring, you know, and again, we'll talk about a painting you did later on of a turtle, Uh, but honoring, you know, these great wisdom traditions and how, what what I consider at their more mystical core, like you mentioned, Kabbalah or maybe Zen in Buddhism or uh, mystic Christianity, Sufism, whatever the case may be, though they are speaking in their own ways and using their own terminology, uh, it's all pointing in the same direction, you know, and in a way it's saying very similar, if not identical at times, things. And that's, you know, that's beautiful. Um, and that's what I love about these great wisdom traditions, yet... I understand why people, especially the younger generations, which is where I do a lot of my work, are so jaded towards the idea. Why wouldn't you be? You look at what's going on in the world today. I get that. you know. So it's a tricky thing to learn to meet people where they are. But then it's so inspiring also, like at that Ram Dass retreat we were at, I was shocked at how many younger people were there. Um, at the Integral conference I just spoke at, again, uh, shocked at how many younger people. Because, you know, I, I think Ken and Ram Dass, they're my, they're my two, like, big teachers outside of the, you know, the, the classics like Nagarjuna or Shankara or, you know, Chogyam Trungpa. But the contemporary teachers, they're, they're it for me. Ken's stuff, I think, is can be much headier than Ram Dass's because with Ram Dass it's it's all love it's the soul it's all love it's the soul like and that's great and you can't go wrong with that yes right. yeah my head to heart you know from um, roll to soul from roll to soul yeah I love that right and then yeah. Ken too you know but Ken saying a lot of similar things just in more technical ways at times um and and to see though that that's resonating with younger people is wonderful um and so necessary um and I had a, a conversation with one of the people at Integral while there, and, and we're going to be starting this small think tank. We've actually already had conversations since then about making these teachings more accessible. And I got to spend time with Ken at his loft pre-conference, and he recognizes as well, like, you know, the materials there, and he, all he considers himself really is a map maker more than anything. And let's make these maps um, accessible to people so that they can show up and we can hopefully turn things around before it's too late because, you know, that that damn doomsday clock, it keeps getting closer and closer to midnight. (laughs) 
it kind of lights the fire underneath our butts to get us, you know, people like you and I who are teachers to, to really move forward with this work. And I think one of the things that you bring um, forward, especially with Ken Wilber's work, is that, you know, at one point in human history, religion provided that meaning making, that esoteric, sure. that guidance on all levels. And we're just at a point in human, we're at a turning and yes. Ken speaks to this turning. Yep. And so, and what I love about, uh, one of the things I love about you and what I love about what you said about, you know, Ken and Ram Dass, who are your core teachers, you can say, and I would say they're in that posse for me as well, is they're uniquely themselves. Yes in the expression of that core truth, just like you are uniquely yourself in the authentic expression of that core truth and where Ken brings a map, Ram Dass might bring more of the heart level, other practices, but they're all kind of guiding us back to this you know, perennial question of what does it mean to be human now in 2018, yes. right? Oh, so well said. It just makes me think of, you know, there are many paths to that mountaintop, you know, which way you're going to get there. And that's why I loved, I think one of the highlights for me from that Ram Dass retreat was when he and Sharon were up on stage together. And you know how Ram Dass use, loves to use the word soul. And in Buddhism, you know, that right. can be a questionable term. <laughs> yes. And so to see them kind of banter back and forth, um, very heartwarming because it's done from a very loving way. And yet they, you know, they honor and respect that at the end of the day, they're both like Ram Das would say, walking each other home and trying to help each other walk one another home. And, you know, and yes, I'm speaking in, you know, uh, dualistic relative terms right now. But like you said earlier about witnessing and uh, another great teaching, um, witnessing oneness, unity, uh, all stuff that I think we'll get deeper into as this conversation goes further on, because, you know, your exploration definitely leads you deeper into all of these queries. And um, so moving on, the next section is titled Open. And for me, what I took away is it seems where your exploration starts to really deepen. Not to say it wasn't deep to begin with, but it's starting to deepen. Um, you know, you're talking about the practice of yoga and going to therapy and exploring um, your physicality and sexuality and romantic relationships. And of course, the frustrations that those can bring. And then there's, you know, the, the reality of God and your um, your being exposed to Carlos Castaneda. Um, you're also, it's your first introduction to Ram Dass and Be Here Now, and you're reclaiming your sexuality and learning about that, or at least beginning to. So again, I, just, I know I just threw a ton of shit at you, <laughs> but like, like I said, you know, this is, um, this is all just the tip of the iceberg. That's all I'm offering is like a, a brief synopsis of each of these sections. So, with all of that in that section open, what what do you what would you like to convey about that, or or what messages or what comes up for you as you revisit that part of your life that you'd like to share with the audience? I think it comes down to this. It open says it this this wonder, this curiosity, and even what you were saying earlier about soul. And so for me, what the openness in my journey was about was like, okay, I'm obviously lost and confused and heartbroken and depressed. Okay, like first of all, admit I'm fucked up. You know, yeah. something something feels wrong. And then it's like, okay, be open to finding the answers. 
anywhere that they show up. Like I have this deep faith and trust that the universe is fundamentally friendly and that I have the capacity to figure this out if I just put my time and attention on it. So what I like to say to people, and I say this to my students a lot, it's, it's just be open and curious. Mm-hmm. And, and a word like soul, for example, instead of thinking we know what that means, be willing to explore and experiment and discover, well, what is my what is soul? Do I even like, what is that? Or, or what is my sexuality? Or what are the foods that make my body feel good? Or what are the books I really want to read or the movies I want to see? Or, you know, so it, it speaks to more the, the personality, the self small s and the willingness to get uncomfortable, to meet our heartbreak, to meet the pain, um, and to really just open to what's possible. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, so with you, you also talk about, like I'd mentioned, Castaneda and be here now in this section. And I think that complements exactly what you were just saying. So at this point in your journey, as you're really, you know, you're learning to open and, and, and find what you can where you can, which is something I too talk quite a bit about. And, and I, you know, I talk, like I mentioned to you earlier, pre-recording I believe but you know I I, uh, go into a youth mental health facility and it's so important to meet not just youth anyone but I find especially with younger people meet them where they're at so I will often use concerts or skateboarding as examples because you absolutely can find spirituality and you know capital s self there as Ken Wilber would say Spirit imbues all things at all times. And he's not, you know, the first to say that. You look at probably the mystic element of all great wisdom traditions and whatever wording, it's the manifest all arises out of unmanifest, you know? And so it's 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 all um interbeing with one another, as Thich Nhat Hans and Zen Master might say. Um but so what was what was the influence at that time of of Castaneda and Ram Dost if 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 there really was a major impact or were you just kind of reading it and, um, and there wasn't much of an impact? No, I'd say both of them had huge impact on me. And I would say, and you you can see this as you follow the trajectory of my journey from that point on is what they were pointing me to, right? What they were pointing to was similar to what Ramana Maharshi, who also feels like a core teacher to me was sure, pointing sure. to. And you mentioned the self inquiry, which is, you're, I'm not, we're not, you're not your thoughts, your feelings, or your sensations, right? You are not those things, Sarah. And those things are, are an ex- you mentioned the duality, right? Yeah. Your personality, yeah. your self, small s, is real, relatively real, but that doesn't mean, just because it's relative doesn't mean it's not real, right? right? right. Just, and so I think Car- Castaneda and Don Juan, and I read the books you know, all of those books and did the practices in them. And I even was able to meet Carlos later in life before he died. No I kidding. Said, yeah. I went to a Tensegrity event, which was the the body-based practices that the witches, which is were, were his women queens or, you know, apprentices. It's unclear what the relationship was. Sure. But but so I felt and and I've got to meet Ram Das as well, which is kind of cool um, and spend time with him now as a deep, beloved elder in my life. And always both of them are pointing me towards this fundamental ground of being. 
this this essential self that has really nothing to do with Sarah and any of her life story, right. but is the root of that. And so I think sometimes, Chris, you could probably relate to this. We are reaching out for that peace, right? And trying to fix Sarah, right? right. And we have to attend to her. We don't want to do spiritual bypass. Right. But but my journey led me really, and you'll see in the next right phase of the book when I meet Sam, is like, okay, let's find that that core sense of self capitalist, the stillness and the silence at the ground mm. of all being. So we'll then f- happens. Okay. Yeah. before we jump into that, um, I love because we've mentioned witnessing a few times, and some people listening might not be quite familiar with what that is. You know, Ken calls it witnessing awareness. Ram Das calls it loving awareness. Um, basically the same thing. They're just wording it a bit differently. Um, but I remember, I think I'd first read about it from Ram Das, and I don't recall if it's Be Here Now or The Only Dance There Is or, you know, whichever book it was of his. But he talks about, you know, this practice of impartially witnessing yourself. It's almost like, say, you're walking down a sidewalk and you're behind yourself in a way, just watching, not judging, you know, like good or bad, negative, whatever, just with a, with a, with an impartial curiosity, like, oh, that's interesting. You know, this emotion comes up good or bad. Wow. That's fascinating. You know, like Chris is feeling this or Chris is feeling that, or, you know, Chris sees this attractive woman or this unattractive woman and he's processing it or, you know, whatever the case may be, Chris is, wants an ice cream. Oh, how fascinating. Like, um, what's your experience been with that? Is it similar? And, and if so, like for someone listening, who's interested, what, what would, if, if you were to give a basic instruction on it, how would you offer it to them? I love it. I love that description that it's so, um, articulates how I experience the witness self. And it's such a core, it's the core pillar. I say it's the secret sauce of self-esteem. Um, and what I would say, and I'll tell you why, because when I, when I did meet Sam and decided to really engage in a very intense meditation daily practice for years, was I didn't, I wasn't taught about the witness what happened was that's what I discovered. Like Ram Das and Carlos Castaneda and all these teachers were saying, you're not your thoughts, Sarah. You're not your emotions and you're not your physical sensations. And then the question is, well, then who am I? Yeah. Right? So you sit quietly. I'm a, for me, it was a sitting practice, a sitting quietly, and that's what I teach. I recommend that. As I mentioned, there's a sitting practice and a movement practice. But the sitting kind of calms the nervous system. It eliminates a lot of the external distractions and the body being involved and the sight being involved. And and, and there's this just settling into this place inside of me that sees my thoughts happening, that notices my feelings, my emotion, whatever I'm happening, and, and, and my sensations in my body, and I don't do anything about any of them. I just keep sitting there. And then you sit long enough and you just become the witness. Yeah. You just, and then there's like this relief. I don't know if you can relate to this. Like, yeah. oh my God, I don't, have, I don't have to follow any of those thoughts. I don't have to believe any of those feelings. I don't have to worry about any of those sensations, but I can, yeah. if I want to, move into the ones that feel you know, creative, that feel genuine to me, that going back to that authentic self, you know, those, that thought actually resonates, you know? Right. 
See, I love that. And it does. That's how I experienced it as well. It's not that necessarily the thoughts go away or the feelings go away, but there's this even a minuscule, slight uh, spaciousness that I experience that allows you to feel those feelings or experience those thoughts, but not identify with them. You're almost able from that witnessing perspective to kind of smile at them. Like the Buddha would say, I see you, Mara. Like, hi. Or, you know, even invite Mara in for some tea, and but but not feed into it, you know, like, I, yeah. I see you and that's okay. And that's been important for me because um, I still have a lot of thoughts around with drugs and alcohol, you know, wanting to use this substance or that, or not just drugs and alcohol, but anything that's going to take me out of the feelings of unpleasantness. And I would certainly judge that and... You know, just I I have some deeply rooted self-worth issues um, and they still rear their ugly head. But now I can learn to sit with them with the spirit of compassion and gentleness. Not always because I am so far from perfect. I still beat myself up. But on a good day, I can, you know, be present with them and hold them, you know, and, and hold space. And it doesn't mean that it's fun or pleasant, but it's not, I'm not negating them. I'm not pushing them away. I'm not creating more shadow material that will, it, you know, manifest itself in one way or another in my life. I'm able to reown them and reassociate them into my overall being, you know, and, and, and just allow them to be there. And that's been one of the healthiest and most difficult, but healthiest things I've learned to do. And it's crazy because I say difficult, but it's so simple because literally all you're doing is nothing. You're just letting it be there. The trick is letting it be there without attaching, identifying, feeding it, going into the story, like really adding fuel to that fire. Um, and that's part of another one of the things I've really loved about your book is as you're talking about these experiences, you know, the myriad experiences you have of discomfort or whatever it is you're questioning and this and that you're, you're so candid about it. You know, you're, you're letting readers know what's going on in your mind and you actually share that internal conversation. And at times I laughed while reading it, not because I'm laughing at you, but because holy shit. Yeah. Same here. You know, like I, my heart's breaking for you. But I'm laughing because it's like, God damn, the human experience. Here we are. You know, we all think we're the only ones, you know, going through this. But no, we're not. So I, you know, I really appreciated that. I love that. And I love how you, um, yeah, how you describe it's okay to have them and it's okay to be in loving witness of them and then to get lost in them and come back. It's like this toggling. It's it's messy sometimes and sometimes we just like the realness and the candidness of your journey with that, my journey with that. I think it does give people permission to not have shame around whatever impulses arise in them from the darkest to the lightest, right? Right. That that can be in relationship with our inner landscape in a way that um, if we, I think the witness helps us slow down. It gives us that moment of pause, Mm. that of breath where we can make a wise choice of how to move into an unwholesome thought or feeling let's say and then to have other people on the path 
to, for support, for me to call Chris, you know, and say, I'm losing it, man. And you can be that witness for me. All you have to do is just be that witnessing presence if I can't access it. And then my relationship with that unwholesome thought is transformed. Mm-hmm. We talk about what to do about it. Do I need therapy? Should I go on meds? Should I change my diet? Then we start to work with that human self in a really loving way. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, we're all a mess on some level. <laughs> We're human, right? We're and human. That's, that's so well said. And and that's something I've struggled with for many years. Being introverted is reaching out when I can't do it myself. But I've learned the very hard way how necessary and also cathartic that is. You know, as you were just saying that, I remember about a year and a half ago when I was going through the initial stages of uh, my divorce, um, it was very tough. I had moved back to Connecticut from, I was living in Canada at the time. And that's I, when we met you actually. Yeah. It was right around that time. Right? That was right around that time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting time to meet me. It was really tough. Um, but I remember, uh, I'm very fortunate to have a close friend in Mirabai star and Mirabai Bush, both in, you know, the Maharaji Ramdas satsang, but, uh, Mirabai Star and I have had some really deep conversations and I remember there was this time where we Skyped together after I just moved back and you know she basically just wit- listened you know I just kind of poured my soul out and cried that really the ugly cries and uh, and at the end she's like you know there's not really anything I can tell you right now but I am here and I am bearing a loving witness to your pain and what you're going through and that's all I needed you know, was for someone to hold that space that I couldn't hold for myself, just like you said. And, you know, we're fortunate when you start doing this kind of work, you start to meet those kinds of people that are there to do that. For, and they don't expect anything in return. It's just, it's who they naturally are, you know, and how blessed we are to have people like that in our lives. So uh, I'm so glad you made that point. And, um, and that's, I still see a therapist to this day. You know, I have friends I can rely on, but I need a therapist. <laughs> you know, no, that. no, none at all. And I, I talk oh, here. I am saying it, but I talk openly all the time about it. Like, thank goodness I have that because I have, like I said, I have very trusted friends who, you know, have a lot of wisdom with these sorts of things, but also that, you know, to have a trained therapist and one that I certainly trust, um, you know, finding the right therapist is key. If that's yes. a route someone cares to take. And yes. luckily I, I found that right therapist and I'm, very happy about that but yeah like whatever means necessary right like so but moving along you know we we move into the next section of your book um where things start to get a little juicy let's say you know it's called wild for a reason um you know it i i appreciated right in the beginning you're you start you're talking about emotions and you're seeing a teacher and she's describing them as pockets of uh energy and motion and you know certainly resonate with that but then you know you're also discussing in this chapter a myriad of things um faith free will trying to find truth while struggling with your inner critic which is something we uh, you know we've already talked about and we can all relate to um and then your experience uh of living your life as an escort for roughly three months and what I took away from that portion was at times it seemed um, freeing and exhilarating, yet also terrifying, you know, like, uh, so 
I would certainly love to hear more about that because you're also still practicing at this point in your life. You know, it's it's not that you're just people hear that word escort and, and I don't mean to speak for anyone, but they might automatically associate that with stripper or rock bottom or addict or whatever. But no, you're you know, you're in a relatively healthy stage of your journey. You're just really questioning everything. So um have at it. Where do where, where, what would you like to discuss? <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on this. I'm, I'm this alone, right? I know, I know. But <laughs> um, I would say now is that what you said is really true. Is it was part of my exploration, um, and uh, specifically my exploration around relationship, around mas- masculine and feminine, around power, um, around authenticity, around intimacy. All of these elements of our human relations and our human beingness. And I was studying in a Native American tradition when I met this woman who ran the escort service. And, um, And I had the opportunity while I was exploring all the different elements of my own sexuality and the sacred prostitute is in there for me. Sure. I started studying about what a gift and what an honor it is to offer sexual pleasure just because of the beauty of pure sexual pleasure. No shame, no blame, no need. And I really, I think more than anything, and Stephen and I were just, um, we sometimes talk um, to groups about relationship and sexuality and spirituality. And we just met with a young group of people in London and, and we were talking about this and it was especially relevant for the Me Too right now and the timeliness of all of the shadow material coming forward around our sexuality and how we do power in relationship and intimacy and sex. And at that point in my journey, I was really feeling just my pure, raw sexual self and the beauty of that yeah. without putting a relation, like I don't need to be married, I don't need to have kids, and just the, my body's pleasure, um, whether I had an orgasm or not, it was just this, this beauty of being in this human form. And I really had a lot of compassion for um, men yeah. and how ashamed they are for their sexuality and part of the root of their, their movement to, to take it because they they need it on some level we all do on some level but especially the masculine testosterone driven sexuality and it was really for the most part a joy and a pleasure for me to meet with brothers and and honor their sexuality and not shame them in a very um, you know, like the contract and the boundary of I'm going to be with you for an hour and you're going to give me these green pieces of paper and it's all yours. No different than when you go to a therapist or I go get a massage. There's a clear agreement. And then there's an opportunity for there was an opportunity for me to just, you know, bless and love a brother. Mm. And why wouldn't I want to do that? Yeah. And you know, so there was a lot of learning for me at that point, And you can read in the book other areas of sexual exploration that I was doing. But the thread really goes back to open. Right. Mm-hmm. And while it's like being willing within. You know, I don't recommend it for everybody. Sure. You know, everybody should have their own. And I felt safe. I felt um, like in those days. This was, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, so there was, there was a risk to right. it and there was some fear around it, but I just rested in, in my confidence and my trusting, um, that this was, a that this was a wonderful opportunity for me. And yet at the same time, I was, ha- I was in a very, um, abusive personal relationship, right? Right. right. Yeah. There's the, 
there's the the polarity there, right? Or there's the the other side. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's anything else to say about that. What? Let me ask you. So it lasted roughly three months, and yeah. how did you know when your time with that was up? What What was it for you that you, you said, you know what? I've learned all I can from this, and um, and it's time for me to move on. That's a great, great question, and I think that's a that's something that all of us. Um, you know, are challenged by when to when to stop or when when to say yes or when to say no. Right. For me, it was honestly the other relationship, the personal relationship, yeah. that drove me to go sit for with Sam to go move into a very still and simple and uncomplicated life to source that inner self. Right. More the personal relationship than the escorting, to be mm. honest. Um, so, so it was a, it was really a combination of, it was just time for me to go in. Um, had that not come up, I may have worked for a while longer, you know? Well, I appreciate how much you own that part of your life, you know, because a lot of people just like the addict, you know, I've, I still meet people that don't openly admit they'll email me and say, thank you for your work, this or that. I'm still not in a place in my life where I can openly, or I feel I can openly talk about this because of the stigma and the shame. And that breaks my heart, you know, like that, that is still there in the world. Like as long as you're not harming yourself or others, like who is anyone to judge you now? Addiction, of course you are harming yourself. I mean, literally I can't tell you how many people I know that have lost their lives. Um, and you're harming your loved ones and and so on. But, um, at the end of the day, if you come out of the other side of that, then that's wonderful. You know, that builds character, that gives you strength. And that's why for me, it's so important to own that. And for you, I, like I said, I really appreciate that you own that. No shame. Like you have a, no shame in that. That was a very big part of your growing process. And I deeply honor that. I, um, I, you know, I, I wish there were more people that spoke to that. I know someone in Maine who uh, wrote an article a few years ago. She's now in an interfaith seminary. And she, I lost touch with her. We, I think we talked last year, but she used to be a stripper. And, um, and she claimed that, you know, though, unfortunately she had some negative experiences at the end that was like, I need to leave this. Um, but you know, she entered uh, this interfaith seminary and she wrote a really moving article for, I don't remember if it was Tricycle or Shambhala, but they published it and I'm so glad they did. And, you know, she was owning that part and, and, you know, it's time we own these parts of ourselves and, and to recognize that, you know, our Puritan values, you know, really, um, color our healthy relationship with our bodies and our sexuality and our, so there's a lot, a lot more we could say and unpack around that. And, and in no way do I want to diminish the women and men out there that have resorted to, you know, working as uh, in the sex trade, um, for, in not good environments and not, you know, as a desperate act that, um, I have a lot of compassion and, um, and yeah, it's a totally different experience. Absolutely, it is. Um, and so we we can move on from that. What I would recommend, though, again, is first of all, pick up this book, period, just because it's amazing. But there is so much more to that part of Sarah's story. And um, and again, it's just very captivating. But I'm glad we got to chat a little bit about it. But yeah. moving on. So, so you yeah. mentioned Sam and moving. And this is the section called Still where you move to Oregon, you know, you're leaving this toxic relationship, which you just mentioned, and you're moving, you know, to be with this, this new gentleman who you will now 
go on unbeknownst to you to spend many years with um learning quite a bit about deepening your own spiritual practice also I love how you're very open about you're struggling with self-sabotaging early on because good God, I was just talking about that with my therapist two weeks ago because something I learned from Noah Levine a while back, and it's not like it's any huge revelation for probably most people, but it was for me is that especially as someone in recovery, we don't just go back to these substances that harm us when things are bad. We also go back to them when things are good because we don't feel worthy of them. And that was such a big thing for me. Towards the end, I couldn't understand why I would go back to that stuff. I didn't want to. I didn't like it. I wasn't depressed. Yet there I was returning to that. So I appreciated you addressed the self-sabotaging. And then again, you also, you're continuing working with asana yoga, pranayamic breathing techniques, meditation, healthy eating. You talk about a vision quest, lengthy, isolated retreats. Like you're, you're really in the thick of it now at this journey in your life. So let's talk a little bit about that experience. Again, yeah, wherever you want to go with that, there's so much to unpack, but oh yeah. well, um, I'll piggyback on what you're saying about the self-sabotage. Cause I think that's important for the listener. Most people won't get the opportunity to spend 10 years in retreat um, sure. yeah. in the way that I did. And in a way it was a real luxury. Um, but what I would say is that the regular practice and and the devotion, I remember Gangaji once saying um, that the sincerity of our intent will carry us, right? That just, and Sam would say that to me. There were times I would say to Sam, like, I can't, I couldn't have done this without you. I can't believe people live in the world and try to meditate at the same time. It's too crazy. How do you have a job or kids? Or And he would say to me, he would say, it's not true. It's, it's in you. And as long as you keep feeding that sincere yearning for, you know, what we said, Ken says, waking up, growing up and showing up, yeah. you will be, you will be held, you will be guided, you will be. And I always thought that was kind of woo-woo and new agey, but it really, as I look back over the, I'll be 55 next week, you know, my 55 years, it really is true. You can't argue and with experience, right? <laughs> you can't argue with that. And the self-sabotage is a real experience for all of us, yeah. no matter what our makeup, no matter what our childhood experience. And so I love being able to say, hey, guys, it's not like you're, like you said earlier, it's not like the thoughts go away. We're just going to cultivate a new kind of relationship with them and yeah. see what beauty we can create and what magic we can create and so those years with Sam were a real training ground for me and in selfistry I really underscore the importance of having a practice I but but I, you can create the practice that suits you right it doesn't have to be a rigid you know use these beads or wear these clothes or do this mantra or you know it's it's to understand what you're trying to do, to, to learn the map, which is why I love Ken's work so much, to understand, to orient yourself on the map. If you're lost, the first thing you want to do is just, first of all, sit down and get your bearings. Stop running around like a lunatic. If you're lost in the forest, you're just going to get more lost. Right. And, and figure out, you know, do you have a map? Do you have a compass? Can you see the stars? Where's the sun rising? Like orient yourself. And, and so once you learn that the journey is about finding your way and what the pieces are in order to do that, then there's the joy of the journey, which is the destination you and I know. Um, so, um, so the time of still was really me. What Sam said to me was, you know, enough of, of, 
of going out for your answers. Just sit down, shut up and listen for a while and some, you'll find your answers. And there's deep truth to that. And so um, I took those years to really be still and be quiet. And like we said earlier, allow the witness to arise. And then over time, that fundamental ground, that emptiness that Adyashanti talks about, you know, that stillness, that fundamental ground of being for to rest as that right. was really where the deepest healing came. Yeah, which is beautiful. And you had an experience. Oh, you had many experiences during that time, obviously. But one, um, you didn't go too much in depth in this, but it, it reminded me when I read it of a discussion I heard between Eckhart Tolle and Tammy Simon. And you talked about 9-11. And you're saying how you're, you're relatively isolated now. Not relatively, you're pretty isolated for a number of years. And 9-11 happens. And I remember, if, if I remember correctly, you had Sam bring you to a hotel because you felt the need to see a TV to, to, you know, to see what's going on. And, uh, you'd mentioned the, um, hearing reports of people jumping out of windows and, um, and I, you know, when I was reading that, I remembered that Eckhart Tolle had an interview scheduled with Tammy Simon on nine 11, which she assumed they were going to cancel, um, because obviously no one knew what was going to happen that day. And Eckhart kept the interview and they talked about it. And it's, yeah, it's powerful. They released it, I believe, it's a two-part disc called Even the Sun Will Die. Um, really wonderful conversation. Wow. But what I loved about it is that Tammy kind of, I think, takes that card a little off guard at one point and asks him, you know, do you feel like, you know, because he often talks about the awakening of consciousness and how it's blossoming, and I wouldn't argue with that. You know, on the other side, there's also the ever-growing terror threats and the darkness is looming too. But Tammy makes this really wonderful point of, do you, do you fear, and this isn't verbatim, I'm, you know, just something to this effect, but do you fear that people are in these circles are kind of encapsulating themselves in these bliss bubbles, let's say, again, not her words, but like these bubbles where they tend to forget because they're just surrounding themselves with awakening and love and light and this and that, that there is real tragedy that's happening. And I honestly don't recall. I mean, he did concede that point to her. And, um, but that, that made me think of that, you know, as you talked about having that experience, I, I, you mentioned Sam came in, I think he turned on the radio NPR and that's when you needed to go or felt the need to go be with that and see it. So what was that experience like for you? Like I said, you didn't write much about it, but did it, did it have any kind of impact for you um, in realizing like, wow, I've been so isolated for a while. There are still things outside that are happening and that's part of life. You know, the, the dualistic housed or the dual housed within the non-dual um, as again, Adi Ashanti, who you mentioned might say. Yeah. Another beautiful question. And what I would say to that is, is that, um, when we truly and genuinely access that fundamental ground of being, right, that, that essence of who we are, um, what I discovered in my um, resting as that 
is that it is what inspired me to then move back out into life and into the world. Um, the same is not true for Sam, right? He has a different path. So for me, what I would say is that that um, it's like resting there. It's like Ram Dass says, death is perfectly safe, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's this, this, this unconditional loving presence, like for real, not in a woo woo way, right? I think some of what Tammy was speaking to is people who are, who are intent, well-intentioned, but running around in another identification with love and light and truth and aren't really authentically yet accessing that genuine fundamental ground of awareness, of loving awareness, we could call it. I like the word source or emptiness because even putting love on it can kind of, you know, yeah. we're, we, you know, we have to define terms, but there's this, there's this, um, connection of that to life, right? That then for me, it just broke my heart open. And it was like, oh, this is what I needed, right? The stillness, not so that I can die as Sarah into it, but so that I can live as Sarah from it. Mm. And as I live from Sarah from it, I can hold the dark and the light of Sarah, just like I can hold the dark and the light in the world. I can hold the terrorists and the Trumps and the, and, and the Hitlers, and I can hold the Gandhis and I can hold the Ramana Maharshis and I can hold the Mother Teresas and recognize that they live inside of me and go back to that witness place where we started this conversation where, where I, if I have to locate free will anywhere, I'll locate it there, but we can have another discussion. <laughs> I can choose whether to act on, on, on the darkness or, or the unwholesomeness, I want to say, or the wholesomeness, the generativity and the creativity. And I'm choosing that. I'm choosing that for the rest of the years that I have here. But I do feel like, and I, and I imagine you'll, you'll agree with me that part of what you and I are doing is, is, is trying to get people to genuinely access that fundamental ground, to recognize the importance of that, even as they're cleaning house, right? Mm -hmm. Even as they're cleaning up and growing up and showing up, you know, that there's awakening, you know, a waking up that is essential that the two of them create this dynamic quality of our human beingness that is so beautiful and so fun yeah. and so blessed. So yeah. blessed. Oh, that's so beautifully said. I love that. And so, so like you said, you know, that kind of was the beginning of an inspiration for you to, to get back into the world. And the next section is called Awake. And um, and this, we already touched on some of this, but again, I'll just recap it and, and let you go where you go. But um, I love how in the beginning of that, you talk about a drawing you were doing of a turtle with eight sections on its tail and how it kind of in that moment, it was leading you to this understanding that all religions originate from the same truth. Um, and then in your words, I loved how you worded this. So I made a note and they spiral out into their own unique creation stories and belief systems, which couldn't agree more and, and again we've kind of already chatted about that but you also discuss you know at this point you're you're um, now studying neoplatism you're really exploring emptiness which has come up a few times which you know that can be a real hot topic for those in the spiritual community um, you know and what that actually means on the ultimate level of things um, 
you also go on to talk about claiming your new name of Sarah with an H. And that's something I think I would love for you to chat about. But you also mentioned the realization, and which we talked about earlier, of you're taking care of your spiritual self for years, but not your physical self um, with an experience of a bear and some cubs, if I remember correctly. Again, it's been a little while since I read your book, but I remember that was very fascinating. And then... And this is a lot in this one section, again, just giving an overview. But as it goes on, you're you're realizing that, um, you know, the, the relationship with Sam is beginning to drift apart. This is where we're introduced to Steve also towards the end of the chapter, who also then introduces you to Zen Roshi. And is it Junpo? Junpo, yeah. Junpo. Um, yeah. So, again, I know a lot in there, um, but for readers, that's an overview of this section. But maybe if you want to talk about uh, reclaiming Sarah with an H, like I know that, you know, you were thinking of different names and this and that. Like what why did you what led to that? Why did that need to happen for you? What was the significance and importance there? Well, <clears throat> it's interesting. So my birth name was Lisa. Yep. And um, and then when I went into retreat, Sam nicknamed me Detroit because right. I was from Detroit, yep. which yeah. I really loved that, um, actually. That's fit. cute, yeah. yeah. It was very fun. And um, what, what I, you know, I guess how I would say it right now is that given everything we've said so far in this conversation is that at some point I thought the witness was who I really was. And what happened for me in that three month silence and solo journey was that I realized that actually the witness was just the, um, the harbinger or the caretaker or the, 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 um, lead for the authentic me to come forward. I'm not articulating that well, but that was Sarah. It was like Sarah was buried underneath the witness. It was like the witness had to clear the space and say, okay, you're not this, you're not this, you're not these thoughts or beliefs or your history or your ancestry or your parents. or And all those were Lisa in my mind, right? Yeah. All those, you know, re represented Lisa. And so once I had this realization that the witness was kind of like the pivot for to help me awaken to Sarah, like this underlying authentic little girl who really just wants to live a human life, but, but needed the connection to emptiness in order to do that is what I would say. Mm -hmm. And so I took the name Sarah to represent this, this authentic self that wants to come forward. And, and then as you mentioned through a series of events, Sam was really going in a different direction. He really wants to die in the emptiness. He's not interested in his Samness at all. And so I had to come to the realization that that's not true for me. And that goes back to, again, trusting my own knowing, right? And being willing to, took me a few years to actually come to really say, okay, I'm going back in the world and I'm going to live from this new place inside of myself, which is when I met my husband who introduced me to Junpo. And since then, all these amazing people, people like you um, who are on this path and who share Ken Wilbur, the whole integral community really helped what they did was really beautiful was they look it's not like they legitimized but that culture and that community really like I was a little bit embarrassed like I was in retreat for 10 years like people are gonna think I'm really weird you know sure. and now I'm this educator and I'm in the world and I'm in a grandmother and I you know I get my hair done I get my nails done and I you know connected with my family again and all this stuff and it's like 
what Ken does is he says all those have their place and want to be integrated. Yeah. And he maps it in such a beautiful way. Um, and Junpo also, who's a dear friend who we're actually going to see tomorrow. Oh. Um, and, and I would love for you to meet him at some point and maybe interview him. He's got a wild, wild story, oh, um, cool. very okay. similar to ours in his own unique way. But I'll just share one more story because I know we're going to have to um, come to a, a closing here yeah. at some point. Yeah. Is that just to share um, the theme of my relationship with my mother through the story, very challenging as a, yeah. a, as a child. And, and then when I was in retreat all those years, and this was something that I felt we had in common about just the heartbreak our families went through based upon our journeys, right? Um, that um, she, uh, so I changed my name and that was kind of hard for my parents, right? Because, and and so my mother now, my father has passed and um, has died. I want to use that word. My father has died. Yeah. And um, my mother now has pretty severe dementia. Um, which, which is heartbreaking, but also beautiful in a way, because it's almost like, like, like her identity is shattered enough that there's this authenticity that can come through. This it's very sweet. It's very. We don't have an idea of how we're supposed to be. There's some miracle in, in, in that as well. But recently I was having a conversation with her and because she doesn't really remember quite who we are, all of us kids, there's five of us. And so at one point I just felt inspired to say, Mom, I have a question. She said, yeah. I said, I just want you to know, like, if you prefer to call me Lisa, like, that's okay. You know, I want, if you remember me more as Lisa or Sarah, I just want to, you know, give you permission because I didn't know where her brain, you know, with dementia, especially they can remember the past more. Maybe she didn't know who Sarah was or something. And what she said was so beautiful, Chris. She said, she stopped for a moment and she was like, yeah, well, I I remember Lisa, she said, but I really love Sarah. Wow. And yeah. Mm. And, and I was just like, okay, mom, you call me whatever you want. I just I love you. And so there's this real beautiful heart connection between her and I. So so and that kind of encapsulates like Lisa's all right. But Sarah is my soul, is my heart, is the name of, of me. And she is able to yeah. really love me for who I am. Oh, so beautifully said and, and beautifully written, too, because you, you go into depth about that. And there's an experience with you in the mirror and um, some really powerful stuff. So, again, um, I really cannot recommend this book enough. <laughs> I truly love it. But you, you, you segue nicely into the end and you kind of covered most of it was you mentioned, you know, the, the, I would say unfortunate, but it's not its life. I mean, of course it's unfortunate, but your father's passing, it seemed that that brought some reconciliation, however, um, amongst some family as well, which that's beautiful. You and Steve, um, continue your relationship and end up uh you actually talked to him about getting married which um i remember reading he was shocked i think you were on a beach or something when that happened and uh uh or at least talking about it but then one thing that um seemed very uh to have a very deep impact and i mean it would anyone but on both a physical and almost esoteric level was um when you and steve were in thailand and you were there with, uh, I believe it was his daughter, if I remember correctly. Right. And you 
it, it was very interesting. You had this feeling something was off and uh, you guys had a boat ride to get to a location and the boat was late. Now, again, I, it's been a while since I read, so I, I apologize if this, if this is in, no, okay. So you, you get there and Steve says like, yeah, I kind of sense it too. And next thing you know, you're at your, your location and you see these huge waves coming towards you. And Steve uh, takes his daughter and runs and you kind of freeze. You start to run, but you freeze. And um, then you get the waters up to your, I don't know, your knees or something. And you get hit with uh, some, I don't know if it was a something. And it, sh- it shakes you out of it. And then Steve is calling for you. And, and luckily... Obviously, you're here. You live through it. At this point, you're not sure what's going on. Is it a tidal wave? Is there an earthquake somewhere? And later we find out. um, I don't know if that part was an actual tidal wave or if it was a tsunami. I knew there were tsunamis based on that huge earthquake that I'm sure most listeners remember that killed countless numbers of people. It was a real tragedy. Um, But this had such a deep impact on you. You know, like you say at one point something to the effect of in a way that solidified things for you and Steve on a very deep level. Um, so I thought that might be a nice way to kind of end the conversation or we'll, we'll talk about that. And then of course I want to give you the final word on anything we didn't discuss, but um, you know, that was, that was very powerful for me as a reader at least. Um, so I can't even begin to imagine the impact that experience had on you on every level. So if you're, cool with sharing a bit about that I'd love to hear directly from you about that yeah that was huge that was that was the big tsunami of 2004 in Thailand um and Christmas time and um I had I was fresh out of retreat so still very much adjusting to being in the world and you have to understand that when I came out of retreat I didn't have money I didn't have I hadn't I've been out of the workforce for almost a dozen years at that point I had no connection with my family no friends um so I was really kind of this newborn um coming into the world and um by the grace of God, goddess, whatever. Sure, um, sure. Stephen came into my life, and um, we've been together ever since. Though who knew at the time, right? right. That's an interesting story. But I said to him, he lo- he loves to travel. He loves travel, culture, food. Um, he's really quite. Um, quite a beautiful chaperone in that regard. And so I said to him at some point, I said, you know, will you take me on one of your trips? Because I want to feel going back to like the the how Lisa was open to figuring out the answers to these big questions. Sarah is just as open to now being human and and coming back into the world. So I'm like, take me on a trip and let me feel that. Let me feel that in my body. And he said, okay, I'm going to Thailand in Christmas. I'm taking my daughter with me. And and why don't you come along? Mm -hmm. And Thailand would not have been my first choice I was I was kind of thinking like take me to Italy or take you know <laughs> somewhere romantic Thailand oh no I, I don't I don't know that culture I'm not drawn to that culture which I now am deeply in love with um, so anyways the long story short is we ended up on a beach in um, an island called Konai in the Adaman Sea um, and when the tsunami hit Um, we were on the side of the island where we didn't get the direct hit of the tsunami, but it was almost like we got the 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 rise of the water level and then the backwash mm. in a way once it hit the shore and came back so it was a 10 foot wave instead of a 30 foot wave otherwise i most certainly would be dead yeah. um yeah. but a 10 foot wall of water coming at you is quite astounding sure um, 
And so for me, what it was, we were on the beach at the time. And yes, you relay the story very well, very good memory. And you can read about it in, in the book, um, is that there, for me, there was a moment of, of, it was kind of that life or death. Like, do I really want to be in the world or do I really want to die into emptiness? Like, okay, you have a choice point here. And, 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 and I made the choice to live. And at the same time that I made the choice to live, what living means is a recognition of death. And, and you and I talked about the possibility of having death as an advisor, which is a Castanadian term, right. be a theme of our conversation today. And, and kind of bringing that through was that I recognized that as I step back into life, it means that I had to step into honoring death as part of that cycle because that tsunami did not you know, care whether you were black or white, right. whether you were okay. old or young, whether you were male or female, it took and that's where that's where I didn't know if I could do it. Like I didn't know if I could live with the heartbreak of what nature does and what humans do to right. each other. But in that moment, it was kind of like this fusion for me of, well, I know that death is perfectly safe. Yeah. So it's not yeah. that I'm scared about it. What I'm really scared about is living. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, in that moment, I said, I, I'm, I'm saying yes to life. And the way that Stephen handled himself in that crisis showed me that he was the kind of man that I wanted to walk next to in life. And the depth of his own spiritual journey and his own awakening matched mine. And so it was a recognition of that moment as well of like, wow, I think, you know, I think you're my guy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, so it's kind of this beautiful, um, um, you know, just kind of conclusion or moment. It was a beautiful moment in the journey of my life where I knew I was, I was back into life and I didn't know what it was going to look like. And there's another, you know, section of when our grand first granddaughter is born. And I, that's another theme in the book of just, of, of owning my choice to not have children and feeling empowering other women to make that choice and, and not have shame around it. And yet at the same time, being able to grieve that I didn't take that path, right? I'm right. not going to do that grief again, that vanilla ice cream, not having it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah. As you're saying that, I, I remember, um, I'm trying to pull it up because I remember the way you ended it. You're talking about that. Um, Edie is uh, her name, correct? And yes. I, I remember, I love the way you ended the book. Um, that's why I'm pulling it up because I don't want to butcher this. Um, but you're talking about a conversation with her and um, and how uh, it's. I, we are running out of time. But, you know, she's talking about being your her grandmother or something to that effect. And um, the last, just the very end of it, and this is how the book ends, and I love this. You say, I'll help you as much as I can, Edie, I tell her. And then it goes on to say, I was born and broken for this. I lift her head off my shoulder and hold her out in front of me. Her eyes are wide open. Mm. And that's it. And sorry, spoiler alert, there's the end of the book. But, but I absolutely love that. I, I mean, tears the first time I read that. It was just like, what a poignant way to end an incredible story. And then what I appreciate it as well is you, you do, um, I forgot what the 
name of the section was, but it's like a kind of uh, epilogue now you call it. And uh, and yeah, you just bring us up to speed, which you kind of already have done. And and here you and Stephen are now, and you're married, and um, you each what what's beautiful is I know you each travel often together, often on your own. So you have this really wonderful relationship where you both honor one another. Um, your togetherness and your individuality. And, uh, and that's incredible. You know, it really is. So I am honored to know the two of you. I, I love you guys so much. And that's after just meeting you once and, um, but having communication since then. Um, so this has been a pleasure. Like I did say, I like to always give the guests the, the, the last thought, if there's anything regarding the book, we didn't cover if there's anything in general, um, that you wanted to share, um, the floor is yours to, to bring us to a close. Well, what is arising for me in this moment is the value of having conversations like this Mm -hmm. that you and I've had for the last hour or so. And, and to, to recognize that, that we're all struggling with the same issues around finding our way on some level and that to begin to have more of these kind of conversations where we, where we share openly, where we inquire together, where we explore, where we listen, deeply listen to one another, learn from one another, support one another, is really what brings my heart um, tremendous joy. And it's at the center of both of our work, right? We, we essentially, we talk to people, but it's more than just talking. It's engaging. It's, it's, it's a depth of intimacy. Intimacy isn't about sex. Intimacy is about connection. It's about honesty. It's about transparency and vulnerability and all of these core values that make us human. And so what I would like to close on is an invitation to join Chris and I in this conversation and to meet us in the world, online, in whatever form feels good to you and continue to engage in this conversation with us and in your own lives, with your loved ones, with your friends, with your coworkers, that we together, right, might rise as, 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 as the potential that we have to be exquisitely human in these times. Um, and that's how I would want to end this time together. I feel like I want to take that and make it a, a snippet and end all the rest of my podcast with it. I love that. Sarah, you are an incredible woman. Um, this has been a truly, truly pleasurable conversation. Um, I'm so glad we were finally able to put it together. I yeah. thank you for your presence and work in the world and your time and uh, sharing your experience and wisdom with our listeners today. And, uh, I'm sure I'll have to have you back on the show, um, whether it's about this book or hopefully we'll get another book from you. And uh, but again, on its way. way. Okay, I love it. So selfistry.com is the website. Is the book on its way soon or is it just being worked on? It's I'm pregnant with it. So I'll let you know. I appreciate fractions hit. Yep. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Well, definitely keep me posted on that. We'll have you back on for that or for whatever else. It's just a pleasure. Um, So again, thank you very much. The book is called Being Selfish, an Unorthodox Memoir, My Journey from Escort to Monk to Grandmother. Sarah Marshank is the author. Visit her at her website. Show her lots of love because that's what she's showing us. And, uh, and I thank you again, Sarah, so much.
Thank you, Chris. So much love. So, so much, much love. Back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.